Food Talk with Mike Kalameko is brought to you by Cento at CentoFineFoods.com, King Arthur Flower at KingArthurFlower.com, and Colavita at Colavita.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome back, or welcome to, or <laughs> just welcome. This is Food Talk, Mike Kalanakos Food Talk here on Heritage Radio Network. Um, on a kind of a cool, rainy day here in Morgantown slash Bushwick, B-K-L-Y-N, Kings County, New York City. Yeah, weather's been great, but today's one of those days when I think we need rain. I don't know. The farmers need rain this time of year. Who knows? But anyway, we got a little bit today. One of them days. But we got a good. We got a good Halloween in last week. I was glad because we we had our Halloween themed show last week with uh, a couple of great characters. One of my favorite, Mike Rogak, who just has wonderful chocolate third generation candy maker. His grandfather goes back to the old penny candy days in Brooklyn. Still has a great store, Joe Mart Chocolates in. I don't know where it is, whatever they call that part of Brooklyn. They've renamed the whole borough. <laughs> They've carved it up, raised the prices, um, and the kids are moving in. But anyway, yeah, Joe Mar Chocolates. Visit his website, JoeMarChocolates.com. You get a sense of what he sells. Great, great stuff. And for once, the kids got a Halloween, because I mentioned last week that the – I felt terrible. Two years in a row. Two two years ago was a, was a blizzard, um, or at least a significant snowfall. Uh, on Halloween night with all the leaves on the trees and the leaves came down and the electric lines came down because the limbs came down and all that weight and Halloween got canceled um, two years ago and then last year, of course, for a lot of the Northeast Coast. It was directly after the aftermath of Hurricane Sandy. And, yeah, well, we all remember that. Downtown Manhattan from 34th Street South was dark for five or six days. Um, parts of the outer boroughs for longer Parts of the city, the outer boroughs particularly, still haven't quite recovered yet. Uh, the Rockaways, Staten Island. Yeah, tough one. But we got a Halloween in this year, so congratulations, kids. You got your bags of candy. You went out and did your work. Speaking of kids, it's funny. I come out here to do this radio show, and the um, I take the subway. Anyone that knows New York knows that the L train, yeah, they got their own. They've, they've had their own little magazine for years. Took me a while to figure out what that thing was they were giving out. But now I know. Now I know. Yes, the... The youth have decamped Manhattan for um, the promised land of Brooklyn, uh, and specifically Williamsburg, which is now bled out into Bushwick, which is bleeding out into uh, Ridgewood, Queens. It's just this 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 march, this endless march into Brooklyn, and the predominant way to get there is on the L train, so that's how I take it. Normally, I bicycle up to First Avenue and 14th, lock my bike up, hop on the train, and it never fails. It's like 3.15 or 3.30, and the high school is letting out, and... Uh, you know, the subway door opens at Bedford, and <laughs> about 6,000, 14, 15, and 16-year-olds pack the cars. And if you've ever been in New York when the subway's let out, it's an experience. Anyway, you gotta, you got to take yourself back to the day when you were a 15, 16-year-old kid, and you'd been cooped up in class all day. Uh, if you were like me, you were bored for a good part of that day. Lunch was your break, um, maybe gym class if you like that sort of stuff, and then back to, you know, your third attempt at Algebra 1. 
And, you know, when the bell rang at the end, it was great. It was like freedom. And all those kids have all that energy. They hit the subway, and it's just lights out. It's it's pretty funny. Okay, so enough of that. A um, couple of guests today. We'll see who shows up. I can never tell. I book the show myself, and, and um, I'm, I'm not the most detail-oriented of types. You know, there's like two halves of the brain. There's the baking half and the cooking half, the classical musician half, and the improviser half. And I am, I'm not a baker. I cook, or whatever you want to call that. And um, in terms of music, yeah, I was never good at reading music, so I always went for the, uh, you know, what key is it in? <laughs> is it four, four, three, four? All right, let's go. Let's um, let's play this thing. Um, which means you never know when I book guests who's going to show up. But in theory, we have Dana Bowen coming out, who I've met a couple of years back. She was with the New York Times for a while, and then Sever Magazine for a while, and now she's one of the big muckety mucks at every day with Rachel Ray, which I know you're probably rolling your eyes saying, what? Every day with Ray? I know. But magazine reaches like two point some million people. It's like one of the most popular magazines on the planet. And honestly, I've never looked at it ever. I don't really read cooking magazines much. Um, you know, I'm an industry insider. So I grew up in this business uh, as a cook, pot washer, cook, line cook, young, you know, whatever, blah, 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 worked my way up, sous chef, chef, restaurant owner, and now do uh, my PBS show here for the last 13 years in New York and the metro area, and radio for the last six or seven. Um, but I don't do a lot of magazines, because they're just, they always seem kind of silly to me, can I say that? Like, like, like every single cooking magazine this month has a turkey and cranberries or something on the cover. And I, so I wanted to get her on because I was saying, what's the challenge of putting out a Thanksgiving issue of a magazine? It must be epic because every year you've got to come up with something new. Like, how do you spin turkey and stuffing a different way? Um, and I guess that's what they get paid to do. So they just bring in all the interns and scour the internet and search food trends and talk to their chef friends and they come out with a new issue. Um, Thanksgiving's that funny time too. It's a funny holiday in America, right? Because it's this, it's I guess it's the classic. It's the one classic American food holiday. We invented it, right? I mean, Christmas is like a Christian thing. Everything else has religious traditions. Uh, you know, I don't know if Mother's Day is a holiday. Kind of Hallmark invented that, didn't they? I mean, it's cute. It's a concept. It's busy. Easter's religious, so again, but Thanksgiving that's like the American holiday. Like we invented it, we celebrate it. Goes back to the Pilgrims or something. I don't know what the whole history is, but you know, we've all read about it and heard versions of it. And yet, it's ironic to me that I, I'm going to guess that 99% of the public out there, maybe I'm exaggerating a bit, but close to that, is probably going to eat front and center a commodity frozen turkey that comes from God knows where, um, you know, raised in some kind of a factory, slaughtered and frozen for how long? You know, these things, you know, have you ever seen those things in the supermarket? They're just like big, solid bowling balls. They could have been frozen for a year and a half. Who knows? I mean, they give them out for free a lot of places just to get you in the store. And I remember back in the day when, like, banks would give you turkeys for free. So it's amazing. We have the holiday, and then the thing that's at the at the center of the plate is, like, the most, in, you know, the most the worst kind of commodity meat you can imagine. So a couple of years back, I started trying to figure out a way to get better quality turkeys. In fact, I think this is one of the – I think one of the early – blow-ups or blow-outs or um, expansions for the whole Heritage Foods thing, which is sort of the brains behind Heritage Radio Network. Years back, Patrick Martins was 
trying to sell Frank Reese's turkeys. And Frank Reese is like the turkey man. He's like the turkey savant. This is Frank Reese lives in Kansas, and all he's ever wanted to do, apparently, this true story since he was a kid, was raise turkeys. He just grew up on the country, was near a turkey farm, uh, and fell in love with turkey farming and decided that's what he was going to do for his living. And he does, and he's got these amazing heritage breeds that are free-range, live these great lives, but how do you sell them? You're not going to be selling them to Pathmark or Kroger or Acme or ShopRite. Good luck getting them in distribution. So Patrick sort of heard about this guy and decided maybe I can figure out a way to sell them. And the... um, the uh, the New York Times got a hold of the story. Florence Fabricant wrote a piece. I'm going to guess this was seven or eight years ago, right before Thanksgiving. And they sold out probably in 24 hours because that's the power of the Times. But they're amazing. If you've never had a great turkey, I think you can order them online at heritagefoods.com. Um, I hate to show for other people, but D'Artagnan's got a pretty good bird. There's all sorts of good bird options out there. So try that for Thanksgiving and then we'll talk about how to cook it next week but get, get a good turkey because this is our great American holiday and it just kind of breaks my heart that it's like you know like we're just relegated to eating one of the worst kinds of food on a holiday that we invented it, and if you start with that turkey good luck getting it good luck getting it to work okay so I believe our guest is going to be here we'll bring her in in just a second um, and we're going to talk about what it's like to put together a Thanksgiving issue every year, year in and year out for a publication that reaches a couple of million people. Um, I think it, it was, if I'm not mistaken, this may be food trivia at this point, but I think the very last issue, the very, very last issue of Gourmet Magazine was the Thanksgiving issue. Because um, back then I was doing food talk at WOR, uh, and I think I was doing it six days a week back then. And a buddy of mine, Marco Canora, who's got a wonderful restaurant in town with, with um, Paul Greco, a place called Hearth. They also have a bunch of wine bars called Terroir that are great, but um, Hearth is his baby. They just got congratulations, by the way, Chef and, and Paul. Good review in the Times. It's been 10 years since they had been reviewed. Uh, Amanda Hesser a while, a while back, 10 years ago, gave him a couple of stars, which was, a, I guess, a fair assessment. Uh, but we got a real positive review last week from Pete Wells, so congratulations to Marco and Paul. But, but, but Marco had written a book called Something, 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 Something with Salt. I'm forgetting the name of it. You go into Amazon and punch his name in Marco Canario, you'll figure it out. Um, something with Salt. I forget what it was. But good book. And it had won. He was stoked. I had him as a guest. And it had won the... Um, it had won the... Gourmet was going to have it as like their book of the month in the, in the January issue. And there was no January issue. All right, I'm going to explain live here in the studio uh, how to get comfortable. Hey, how are you today? Just pull this thing close to you so you can talk right into it and get anywhere you want. Just pull and Just yank. Just like it. this? That sounds way better. How does that better. sound, yeah? Perfect. It's direction. Good. Sounds good. to good. see you. Good to see you. Yeah. So my guest is here. How'd you get here? L-Train? No, no car service? No, I, I drove, and it took me an hour. From, and, I, and I live not far in Brooklyn. I yeah. Think it, it was supposed to take me about 13 minutes. Yeah, I had, a, I had a guest last week driving from Don't Ask Me Where in Brooklyn, and he said it took him an hour and a half. Yeah, you know what? It's Bedford Avenue. And I didn't think about this, but I guess the kids are getting off school around this time, and the school buses are... You don't have to tell me. I ride the subway. and about <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, and it gets to the Bedford stop, and all of a sudden you get like 6,000 high school kids that pour in. And it's like, oh, yeah, 315 yeah. all over the city. Yeah. Next time the L train. Yeah. Well, yeah, right. It's faster, but you still deal with the kids. Right. So anyway, D- Dana Bowen, welcome. Thank you. So tell me, tell me a bit about your background, because you and I, I mean, you were with the Times for a while. I, I, I wrote for the Times for years, uh, in, in the early, well, 2002 until about 2000, 
six when I joined Sever. I wasn't on staff, but I was a roving reporter, that, uh, and I did. Um, once Eric Asimov um, stepped down from 25 and Under, I was doing um, the uh, 25 and Under reviews. Peter Meehan and I were going back and forth on that. Which is fun, because you're out all the time. You're covering restaurants. And, Absolutely. And Eric had moved to take over Frank Pryle's column to do wine. Uh, right. Which, which could be the greatest am- gig in the amazing. world. Amazing. No, no wine writer is better. He's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. he's great. And it's just yeah. like, you know, I mean, it just if I just think about like what he's been able to taste in the oh last 10 years like that's how you develop your palate it's like what a dream yeah. so you're with Severe for a while which is a sort of high concept glossy right you know themey issues well, it's the it's the foodies magazine yeah, right. you know and and the and you know and and of course for me it was it was my dream to come to Severe because um i remember when the Severe first started in 94 i i called and i said I called up and I and I just like found the number in the you know uh, on the masthead the edit- editorial offices. You know, I said, what, "What do I do to work there?" And you know, of course, um, you know the person who answered was uh, an editorial assistant who was very nice and said, "You know, what? Well, well um, I, I don't know. I don't think we're hiring right now." And and I I put it at that. That was it. And and then so it was it was about I guess it was ten years twelve years later that uh, Jim Oslin and I met and I came on board over there. Yeah, and Jim Jim's still there. Does a great job. Yeah. Did you go to J school? Journalism school? No, no, I didn't actually. I studied um, I studied English literature and creative writing at uh, Chapel Hill okay. in North Carolina. And you know what we share is a background in, in restaurants. So I started working in restaurants when I, you know, was still in high school and kind of came to wanting to write about food through working in restaurants and my you know, my love of, of that. But, you know, back then there weren't really there were food writers of course, but it wasn't the industry that it, it yeah, is. Yeah, it's today. I say this all the time that so I'm older, fifty seven, and when I started in the seventies, really the late sixties in junior high and high school cooking, um you know, if you told your high school guidance counselor oh, that yeah. you wanted to be a chef, oh, they'd look at you like what? what are you crazy? Fuck? Yeah, that's like Jiffy Lube. Like, dude, like, dream a little bigger than that. Well, well at least people know what a chef is. People well, not really don't know what a food writer. That, I don't even think the word. Was, I don't right. think the word chef existed. Tonight. I think you'd say, <laughs> "I wanted to be the head cook at such and such a restaurant." Right, exactly. It wasn't part of our nomenclature. Right, and right. then, to, and to, to your point, to think that as I went through it, like even as I got older, you know, seventies and eighties came to New York in eighty two, CIA grad, freshly minted in January of that of that year. You know, your dream then was to either be an executive chef at a good right. restaurant. Right. or maybe have your own restaurant. Right. And that right. was it. I mean, right. that was the ceiling. That was right. it. Right. The idea that somehow this whole food media thing would happen was like, what? Right. Yeah. I mean, well, and, and you went on to work with some of the best well, I met chefs. You, I met you with oh, Christian right. Louvrier's tribute right. at the Knickerbocker Club a couple of years back. It was an amazing back. meal. You yeah. Know? And, that, and that was so great because it had pulled together all of these wonderful chefs who have risen up through the ranks who had worked yeah. Worked for him. Yeah, and it was probably half of the guys because I mean, Chan McBride didn't make it. He's at Balthazar now. I know right. a bunch of guys who were scattered around the country. Right. Um, actually, David Kinch, who doesn't feel, I don't know, maybe David didn't like Christian because David doesn't even have <laughs> on his resume. He, he just wrote that Manresa book and he's oh, got this tribute great. to Barry Wine, and I'm like, all right, okay, whatever. What about, what about all right, all right. Barry you know? School. I saw Barry a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so, all right, so, so you're with Severe for a while. Right. And then, and that, so. It's funny because I, I, in the interest of full disclosure, I said this yeah. before you were, got in that I don't read a lot of food magazines. I'm kind of an industry insider and I'm always uh-huh. in kitchens and I uh-huh. cook and it's not like I'm going right. to open up food magazines for recipes, for recipes or info. Right. Right. And, and they're aimed at perhaps a slightly different market than where my brain is. Um, but I, 
you went from severe to every day with Rachel Ray, and six months ago, I got a little surprise email from an old friend of mine, Gabriella Gershenson, yeah. saying, hey, is my last day at severe, or whatever, I'm leaving, right. got a new right. career, and I'm like, what's up, girl? I'm going <laughs> to Rachel Ray, and I'm thinking, so all of this talent. I mean, so Gabriella oh, was with you. Time Out New York right. for a long time, right. really sort of sort of helped raise the bar and really, sure did, yeah. I mean, I think Time Out New York kind of became a lot more food-centric and a lot more important. Right. Uh, and, and, of course, Jordana Rothman was her That's understudy, fantastic. and Jordana ran with the ball again. Amazing. And so you came from the Times in Severe. Now you're with Rachel Ray. Gabrielle was Time Out New York for a good half a dozen years. Severe and at, for, at the press, before that, writing fantastic profiles correct. Of, of foodies. And I that. just had dinner with her last night, so we were talking all about this. So tell me. What's it like in this magazine? I mean, it's you have how many readers? Two point what million? Well, you know, the circulation is a- around two million, uh, but the reach, you know, when you consider everything from the show to the website, it's five million. So it's a, a massive jump. Um, you know, what's it like? Um, it's <laughs> <laughs> no wait, I don't want to, it's the good parts. No, no, it's. I mean, all of it is all yeah. of it's good, but. I mean, this is what's so exciting about what what we do at at working in food media. And I think why I was drawn to it from restaurants to begin with is that it's all just a different side of a a different part of us, right? And so this, you know, Every Day with Rachel Ray is what we call in the food media world a a cookbook. It's a book that people actually really cook from compared to, say, um, Sever, which is very much an aspirational book. I mean, certainly people cook from it, but the recipes are so much more ambitious. There's so many more ingredients. And this is really for people for people who are looking for great meals to you know cook on weeknights they're looking for what are the new holiday dishes going to be that they're going to introduce to their family this year and you know and that's pretty exciting you know, that's what was that's what that's what drew me to you know this magazine to begin with was that you know Rachel Ray is pretty damn inspiring no Rachel Ray is forget I mean I think there's I know there's listeners of the station that's like rolling their eyes but let's face <laughs> it if you're talking about influence she's a rock star that's Rachel Ray is she's huge yeah and and I think it's kind of cool too in a way I'll give her kudos because she never made out that you know un- unlike some of the posers on the on the TV food network who pretend that they're chefs with their ginormous smiles and right. charming and they right. can barely hold a knife it's probably not them <laughs> cooking it's probably not even them with a knife they're cut away to the hand shot with the other knife um you know rachel was just kind of this this she blew up she was from upstate new york really right. hard job right. working class kid right. doing demos at macy's I mean, also coming from a restaurant family and yeah. you know and she's she's a real hard worker and you know what what inspired me um you know, from early on with Rachel is that she really got people cooking. Like she, you know, she gets people excited about food. And, you know, one of the fun things is that when she puts guanciale in a recipe, people are like, all right, I'm going to go buy that. (laughs) I'm going to try it. Right, all over America (laughs) because her audience is really super, super big and super national. So I'm I'm opening this thing up and I'm just wondering like what you guys have to go through. And I'm trying to read this to do my homework in the last couple of days. And right in the, because I don't know what this magazine, I don't read magazines. I don't know how this is laid out. Tons of advertising. Congratulations. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. We need that. But then right in the beginning, page 16, there's this month's menu, which kind of goes to your point. So I'm looking at this thing, and it, you know, it almost reminds me a little of every so often Mark Bittman would get those assignments oh, from the Times. Would, this, yeah. He would have like 101 recipes for something. That's right. Corn you or know sandwiches. What? And I'm like, I cooked all my life. And if somebody <laughs> gave me that, I'd be like, no way. You're kidding no, me. I'm like, I could give you 15 off the top of my head. I could research and get to like 38. 
and now I'm you know, done. I've, I've never told Mark this, but editors who I work with, you know, laugh at me because I say when I'm, you know, when we're in brainstorming meetings, I'll say, "I want to do one. I want this to be kind of like a Bitman piece, right. you know, with, you know, a hundred things to do with with." You know, winter squash. I mean, or that's something. What, I remember exactly. he did something Asparagus times a while back, and it was salad. like 101, and I'm like, this is insane. This is I don't know where this guy is. I don't know how he does this. Well, and listen. Meth or some incredible computer or both or what, but where does that come from? Yeah, he figured, Well, you know what? I think, first of all, I mean, he's an amazing cook, and he's an amazing home cook. And what I think is really interesting about how people are cooking now and, and I am grateful to, you know, working on Every Day with Rachel Ray for kind of connecting me to that because we do a lot of, you know, um, research, market research, and, and a lot of reader research. Um, and we ask them, what, you know, what they're looking for. And I think that the way people are, are cooking now is they're, they're looking for ideas less than straightforward recipes. They want to look at something and say, all right, I see what's in that dish, and, you know, I can make that. So we're doing more things that are, you know... For example, spins on guacamole or twists on your cranberry sauce where you can say, all right, I know how to make this guacamole thing, but what are, what are some easy ways that I can kind of liven it up? And which is, which is yeah. a smarter way to cook. I, you know, I've sort of been, intuitive. I don't yeah. say down on recipes, but it, I think that people, it's like a GPS in your car. If you're reliant on a piece of paper, quarter teaspoon of this, and then you're out of something. Oh, my God, right. I'm making minestrone. I don't have zucchini. I'm done. It's right. like, really? Right, right. So you right. don't have zucchini. So use another squash or don't put squash in or you don't have that shape pasta. Use another it's, one. It's no fun being a slave to recipes. It, it right isn't. Now. And I think that's what people do. So, yeah. so we're back to this, we're yeah. back to this issue. Page sixteen, and you—I'm I, I not going to count these because it'll be dead air on the radio. But you, you in, in in the one—it's a—it's a one-page spread, so it opens right. up. There's a left side and a right side, and there's got to be there's pictures of of, of every tiny recipe pictures in the issue, of every right? recipe in the issue, and you're probably looking at forty or fifty. You know what? There's there's about eighty. Eighty, actually, yeah. I mean, we do about we do between uh, between seventy and and ninety recipes an issue. And so, so for the so Thanksgiving issue, it. which is huge, because this is probably the biggest selling issue. Yeah, I, was, I think we probably did more like a hundred for this one. When does the it's it starts tomorrow for next year? <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. We've already started talking about it. Yeah, I mean that is the big challenge, and it's funny when editors get together, you know, because it's a it's a small world, right? And you know, we we say, well, all right, what are you? What are we going to do? Next, what are we going to do for Thanksgiving to be different this year? And it's you know, of course, it's a closely guarded secret. We we don't want to give it away, um, you know, to to the, the competition what we're doing and, and vice versa. But um, it's hard to reinvent that wheel. I, before and, you, as you were coming in, because uh, I, uh, I, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm, I, my iPhone reset itself. And I don't know how to do the email on it, so I'm like, I don't even know if you're going to maybe email me. I'm stuck. I broke my leg or the dog, so uh, I'm going to have to fill some time up. And I was saying. Uh, earlier on the microphone that th- this must be one of the conundrum issues for every single publishing house because every year Thanksgiving comes. That's right. And there's, I mean, you can go back to Gourmet Magazine to the 60s. Or so. Everybody's going to have a turkey on the cover yeah. and cranberries or yeah. some kind of fruit. But it, it, it's like, pull your kind of hair out. How do we reinvent this thing? Like, right, right. this is the year's 2013. Right. There's 35 years of Thanksgiving issues from Bon Appetit, from Gourmet, from Food and Wine. Everybody's, yeah. do, everyone's, and, and if there's like one pro Protein. It's a turkey. That's right. There's going to be a couple of carbohydrates, something with rice, something with stuffing. Right. There's going to be fruit Aunt component. Mabel's broccoli casserole because there always is. <laughs> yes. Right. You know. Well, that's it. I mean, and I think um, you know, I, and look, we've. I mean, we've done it all. Um, we've we've done um, you know the 
the piece that's about six different ways to do your turkey. We've done the piece about like the ultimate turkey. Forget the six different ways. Just do this one. We've you know we've done profiles of of people's Thanksgivings. We've done a, one year we did a Salvation Army um, uh, kitchen and uh, a, a soup kitchen and you know and it, every way is 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 different and fun and you know it's this year we kind of realized that look we can we can give you. Um, your roadmap to the perfect Thanksgiving, and one we could give you one menu to follow. But really what people want to do is what they do with most magazines. They're looking at these pictures and they're saying, oh, what's the one thing different that I'm going to do this year? What's that one dish? You know, or, or maybe what's a, you know, what's a, a cool trick um, you know, that's, that's not going to be too laborious? Like, you know, there was that, you remember when everyone was smoking their turkey or people were doing the turducken or, you know. Which is a were, ton of ridiculous amount right? of work. I mean, it's like making it. a galantine. It's like bone this out, bone that out, bone this out, wrap them up, spread them, tie them. Really? Oh, right. And, and the smoking thing, and too. Right. And oh, the, right. the brining thing. Oh, where like do the, you put it in the bathtub in a big cr- plastic bag? Right. How do you brine like a 22 pound bird in what? In a 50 going to go to swing? You know, true value and buy a 50 gallon drum and then some dry. I mean, I don't even know how to keep that thing cold for a day. Well, so how do you do your Thanksgiving? I, you know what? Yeah. I am the worst. Um, I'll, I'll tell you. The answer is, because I worked in restaurants all my life, it's, I, it, I hate to say this, it's basically impossible to cook a turkey correctly whole. Because the yeah. breast cooks before the thighs cook. Yeah. And a Howard McGee, who's a finer brain than me, threw himself at this once. And actually, it was like sort of duct-taped ice pack. <laughs> yes, right. The... I remember that image. <laughs> right. I'm thinking, wow, that's so romantic. <laughs> Let me look at the turkey. Don't look at the turkey yet. Don't look at the turkey yet. You know, so he did that and then pulled them off. And, and you know, the, so um, I, I, you t- you I get the breasts off and I roast them on the bone hole. And then I'll take the thighs and the drumsticks and braise them with root vegetables and yeah, red wine. So they're falling, you know, and then you could basically destroy them, cook those for hours, yeah. and they turn into something really wonderful. It's like a braised hunk of thing. And then the breast will be hopefully cooked well. Right. So you've got your white meat that's juicy, yeah. you've got your dark meat that kind of acts as a stew. And if I feel like making some kind of gravy, I'll hack it up. But you've got, I mean, that's credit so to you guys, because you have. Like the center of this turkey and gravy, you have a classic roast turkey on page 128, a buffalo spiced turkey on page 130, a Little Italy turkey. I've got to go look at I don't know what that one is. Um, A Latin lover turkey, a South of France turkey. Um, cranberry glazed and mi- so you've we got had fun coming up with these names you know here's the thing is that this is another one of those examples of we're not giving recipes for all of those we actually gave just one recipe for here's a, a great basic turkey and then here's some easy ways to season it up and we actually came up with this flavor wheel here I'll turn to it it's on page um, one second here tell me tell me it is on page between all the advertisements. Um, one thirty. Okay. Right? And basically, right, so first on page one twenty eight, you you get your and, and here's you get your iconic shot of the great roasted, classic roasted turkey. And here's why the rest uh, most of America does not do what you do and, and many chefs that I know do what you do, is because they want that yeah. th- they want that iconic you image. You bring of it that. to the table right. on a cutting board or surrounded by whatever and it's the whole thing and it's tied and it's trust. And it and just looks cool. like Norman Rockwell. It does, Rockwell, and it does right? look beautiful, and yours does too. Thank you. And and so then you know you turn the page and we have this six turkey twists and we came up with this this wheel idea and it's you know very very much Bitmanesque in a way where we say all right well now you're going to season that you're going to start with that plain turkey and you're going to season it under the skin to keep the breast moist and also flavor it in the cavity with these other things and then on top of the roasted bird right at the end so these aren't recipes they're just kind of yeah. ideas mm. for uh, 
how to do that. And we did the same thing, you know, with gravies to match. How, you, you have a test kitchen with a bunch of cooks wearing whites that are constantly chopping. They wear white. <laughs> they don't, but yeah, they don't have to? Okay, don't, so they just wear regular, white. like, T-shirts and yeah, aprons yeah. and rock street clothes? Yeah. But, I mean, that, there must be, like, a Willy Wonka laboratory oh behind gosh. Rachel Ray, Inc. There of is. research assistants. That's, well, you That's know probably a pretty cool job for a culinary school graduate that maybe doesn't want to work six nights a week. Well, and that's where we, most of the folks who work in our kitchen have come to us from, you know, the uh, ICE and, and CIA. So they're coming from the cooking schools, and they start as, as doing an externship and then stay on. So that's – and we've got, uh, you know, a, a running list that can, keeps, on, keeps on going. But, yeah, it's a great job. And this time of year – actually, so let's see. This issue is on stands now. So when did we start working on – testing we probably in the summer um we started testing and i'm uh, sure like june july because this goes to print it's yep five weeks ago yep. it's the layout has to be finished 90 whatever 60 days ago and what's what's interesting is that we share a test kitchen so we have a, an area but we're um that belongs just to us but we're owned by by uh the magazine is owned by meredith and Meredith Publications also does Ladies Home Journal, Family Circle, and so everyone sort of has a dock or a different area, their own essential, their kitchen, um, Better Homes and Gardens also. Um, and so everyone's doing turkey at the same time, and we're e- and the entire staff, if, you know, from the editors to the designers to the you know guys in the mailroom, everybody, everybody, they're, they're eating turkey sandwiches because it's like, in that's what, July and June. <laughs> in July, yeah. yeah, that's the business. Yeah. Yeah. What's up? What's up? So I don't want to leak it up. But so what's the next holiday issue? What's the Christmas thing? That must be. Are those oh, like? I brought the, you a copy. Oh, you did. Are those like the biggest? They, they are. You know, it's interesting because you notice that because you have your subscriptions you that, are, that are huge, and then you have your newsstand stuff. I mean, I'll go to Whole Foods everywhere I go. I'll see this. Well, and you know what's funny, and this is the, this speaks to your point earlier about how you know um, everybody is trying to think what can we do different, and sometimes you know, and we're all driven by the zeitgeist, so we can't help it. As much as we're trying to be different, you know. Um, where we're, there's go, there are going to be trends that are going to kind of find themselves on their pages no matter yes. what. I don't know if you've noticed, but I was just looking at all of the Thanksgiving issues that are out, and Bon App did a great job. Uh, food and Wine, beautiful job. Um, Sever, of course. Everyone did pie. Everyone did a big, beautiful story about pie. And the reason why I was thinking about that is when you were asking about the big issues in November and December, um, that's also when the big cookbooks come out. And right. I think one of the cookbooks that hit a lot of our desks that were, desks that we're all excited about, and I live right around the corner from these guys, um, is 4 and 20 Blackbirds Cookbook, um, which is uh, that great pie, pie place in Gowanus. And, and, and I guess pie is just so, again, it's so iconic. Before you came in, I was saying that it's, it's kind of depressing to me that the, our only American holiday, that's a food holiday. Yeah, yeah. You know, we did Christmas is religious and Easter yeah. and Mother's Day is sort of a confection. Yeah. Thanksgiving is like a classic iconic America. We invented the thing. It yeah. has something to do with history, supposedly. We'll, give, we'll, we'll nod our head and say, yeah. And 99% of the people are going out buying like butterball turkeys and just oh, eating yeah. like the worst kind of commodity stuff. And, you know, it's a very brown day. You know, it's like the, the <laughs> it's brown food day, right? It is brown food I remember day. My, my, one, one of my kids complained about me I've got two sons who always complain about me, but like, <laughs> just make a regular Thanksgiving. Like, stop oh, making the right. You know, oh, just go stop. I'm so sorry. All right, okay. So I'll tell you what. You do the menu, and he did the menu. I want this stuffing. I want you know glazed yams with with marshmallows. I want a regular whole turkey. And then he told me he wanted string bean casserole. And ah. I did some research for what yeah. string bean casserole was because yeah. I would remember that's my generation. 
Then I mean the, the classic recipes like oh, yeah. frozen st- or canned string beans. Canned string beans with, with a the, can of Campbell's uh-huh, cream of mushroom soup, yeah. pretty much poured over the top. And those dirty onions. Those dirty, which I couldn't believe. <laughs> which I, I think have no other purpose on they, the planet. Correct. They make them all <laughs> year long. That, they right. deliver them in a truck in October, and they're sold out the day after Thanksgiving. Right. Um, it wasn't bad, actually. I could see where people like oh, that because yeah. it had about oh, yeah. 6,000 milligrams of salt. Right. Between the Campbell's soup and the dirty onions, it was like, okay, right, right. I could be eating my sock under this. This would be good. But but the, but by the time I was done making what he wanted, like everything was brown. And I'm just thinking, you know, it's kind of like that's one of those holidays. Yep. The stuffing's yep. brown. The, the, the gravy's brown. The turkey's brown. Well, the mushrooms, too. I mean, it's like, yeah, what? Yeah. Well, but, I mean, that's where now everybody's so obsessed and um, thank God, for, you know, with, with vegetables. The vegetables is the new pork, right? And so what's exciting is that there's, you know, we have a, a reinvented um, a green bean casserole in here, um, you know, and you're using fresh green, and, yeah. you know, it's and that's great. Right. That's what I told my, I said, okay, next year I'll make this, and I'll use fresh string beans, and I'll right. blend. And, 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 and fry shallots. Yeah, and, and I'll get some shiitake mushrooms right. or something fancy, right. and I'll saute them down. But it is not, do you really feel like it has to all be fancy? I mean... Let, I mean, I, no, I served a heritage no. bird once that looked so odd that pe- I mean, it was delicious. Because the thighs are huge and the exactly, and the breast is tiny, and it was absolutely delicious. Yeah. But you know, for the white meat lovers at my table, there there just wasn't enough of it for them. So. Yeah, no, I think for holidays, I don't do fa- for holidays. I just it's bank shot stuff. That's not the time. Give give yeah. people what they want. I mean, yeah. that's not the days for kudos and. You know, maybe pull out rich stuff. It's server asked me last year; it'll be out this year. I think that yeah, I know it will be. I heard on that Christmas thing, and and, um, so it was what I made for Christmas. And I, I, you know, when they first called me up, I'm like. Hey guys, I don't want. To, I mean, I'm, I'm not Courier Knives. I'm Martha Stewart. It's just me and my family. That's it. You know, everyone's kind of gone now. Mom and Dad are passed. I lost a brother, and the other one lives far away. So, I mean, Christmas is just we hang right. out. I bring right. some stuff home from New York, and I make some stuff. Does that sound okay? What are you going to make? And oh, a piece of roast. I mean, every year it's something different, but yeah. we ended up covering it. And for the most part, to your I point, heard it, was, it was just simple comfort stuff that you right. can kind of do ahead, right. so you're not. You know, Panics, five right, pan right. pickups exactly. at quarter of four, wondering if you can do the whole thing. Exactly. Make it simple, make it delicious, and do celebratory stuff. Well, that's it. I mean, I, look, the stuffing that I make every year is is a really simple one that calls for Pepperidge Farms cubed. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's the the one that my mom made, and it's um, it just doesn't feel like Thanksgiving kind of without it. So I, I put in all the other fancy stuff, but I also have that too. Well, thanks for coming on. So what's a day there? I mean, Gabrielle says you guys work hard. She says not an easy gig. It's you guys put in some hours. Well, work. yeah, we all do. I mean, I think food people yeah. by nature, you know, we're hardworking. We we love what we do. Um, so yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's. It's a, it's a, it's a not a, it's a long day, but hey, we get to eat while we're doing it, so you know it's well, good. At some point, we have to go out. Now, right near you, I, I heard where your offices are. Le Mangeoir is where Christian Delouvre oh, is yes, hanging his hat. We have to go we there. Go to dinner sometime after work. Maybe the three of us. I haven't been there yet. Husband. Yeah, he, Christian, because I think he has one more year, and he's going to just finally retire, which he is probably he? should have done years back. Oh. But yeah, he's he's one of the great trenchmen out there still. You know, I mean. You, Go in the kitchen. He's got burns on his arms. He's, he's, amazing. Re- he's amazing. He's sixty yeah. something, and he still yeah. cooks every day. This New York Times four star guy that just loves what he's doing. Yeah. So yeah. my guest has been Dana Bowen. We're talking about the newest issue of Rachel Ray. And if you're looking, I mean, it's a couple of weeks away. It's chock full of pretty cool recipes that they vet, that they test. Um, keep up the great work. We'll get you back on during the year. Thanks. Thank for you so out. much. I've always wanted to be on your show. It's great to be here. <laughs> well, we got this one. Welcome <laughs> to Hipsterville. I love yeah, it. Thanks. The world of flannel shirts. No, we got a wood great. stove next door. Oh. This is yeah. 
My, it's my son's favorite restaurant. Yeah. How old is uh, he? He's eight. Good yeah. taste. Well, he loves good pizza. Good. And, uh, no, it's, good. A, it's a great, great vibe here. Thanks so much Thanks. for coming out. You're listening Thanks. to Mike Colomico's Food Talk on Heritage Radio Network. We're going to take a quick spot, and we'll be back after that. You are listening to When It Was Wrong by the California Honey Drops on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Stay tuned for more food talk. Mike Call Mecca on the Heritage Radio Network. When we were still in school, all the good times that we shared are breaking all the Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably-minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today. Well, you knew I had a woman yeah. And I knew you had a man But one look was all it took, girl Hey folks, Mike Colomaco here. When I'm at home and I want to make a great tomato sauce, well, it starts with shopping, and I always go for Cento brand San Marzano tomatoes. It comes from a region just outside of Naples in the foothills of Mount Vesuvius, where there's this amazing volcanic soil, a super clean high water table that the Greeks were raving about eons ago. It's a special place with a special microclimate, and it's really a unique tomato. It's kind of long and banana-shaped with a real thin skin, heavy, thick flesh wall, and not many seeds. It's the perfect canning tomato. So come mid-August, when the season's perfect, that's when they slow down the production, slow down the farming, and can the Cento San Marzano tomatoes. It's harvested with complete sustainability, and it's the best tomatoes, everybody agrees, for tomato sauce. All of Cento's San Marzano tomatoes, from the seeds to the fields to the farms to the production facility, are certified by an independent agency which guarantees the traceability. It's what I use when I want to make great tomato sauce at home. Cento San Marzano tomatoes. King Arthur Flour, established in 1790, is America's oldest flour company. They're an employee-owned company whose passion is sharing the joy of baking and inspiring bakers worldwide. When King Arthur was founded in 1790, George Washington was the newly elected president of the United States. The company was sold by the Sands family to King Arthur Flower employees in 1996. They are now an ESOP company, 100% employee-owned, with a 100% commitment to quality. Visit them at kingarthurflower.com. 
Michael Ameko here. Uh, when I started my PBS show, one of the deals with producing a PBS show is you're always looking for underwriters. And I thought, let me let me start first by going after people whose products I actually use in my kitchen. Um, I had a restaurant for years. I used Colavita olive oil. I did some research and found out that in the extra virgin category, it was the only Italian olive oil that was actually 100% Italian origin. There's a lot of stuff going on in that business that we don't really want to talk about. But um, a lot of the big brands call themselves Italian, have American, Italian flags on the labels, and their blends from tank farms from all over the planet pretty much based on price. Um, Colavita is the exception. Um, really love the oil. Been using it in my house. Reused it in my restaurant. Well, Colavita is doing something neat. They're doing a contest. If you go to italycontest.com or colavita.com, where there's a link, but again, Italy Contest is the more direct way to do it. They're doing a contest on substituting butter for olive oil and baking goods. The winning recipe gets a free trip to Italy, courtesy of Colavita. So if you're thinking about cooking with olive oil and you're a baker, throw them your recipe at italycontest.com or visit colavita.com and click the link there. You may win a trip to Italy. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Food Talk with Mike Calameco. My guest is on his way. Everyone's, everyone's stuck in traffic today, so just be patient. They're all going to... We're all going to get here sooner or later, but his name is Edward Bear, and he's, um, I, I think I met him years ago at a food conference somewhere. He's the founder of the food magazine, The Art of Eating. He's also written a bunch of times in the New York Times, for The Atlantic, for Forbes, The Financial Times, and he's part of that, that um, New England school of uh, food journalism that's kind of super intellectual. Um, I don't want to say kind of geeky, because that might sound like a... The, an, an insult, but you know, Rowan Jacobson, there's that gastronomia that comes out of, uh, I think it comes out three or four times a year. That's the same sort of thing, but he's, he's a really interesting food writer and he came out with a book that we're going to talk about, but I'm not going to talk about it yet till he's back or till he gets here. He's on his way. That was, if you heard my phone ringing earlier, you know how you're supposed to have your phone off in the studios. I'm, I've always broken that rule among others on radio. So that was him calling me to tell me he was in a cab and he was stuck, but he's on his way. So, in the meantime, I'll fill some time giving you a couple of shout-outs to a couple of places. I mean, one of the things I do for, for this show, but mainly for the PBS show that I have, is research. I do 23 shows a year that we've been doing now for 13 seasons on Channel 13. We're going to be national on Create this coming year at some point, which is fun. Bring, bring me a lot more eyeballs. Um, we tell good stories around food. As I go to restaurants all the time, um, I don't follow publicist tips and I don't read reviews and Yelp and say, oh, that sounds good. I'll think I'll do something. I actually hit the pavement, go out to eat, pay my bills. And if I like a place, I'll consider doing a story about him. If there's a story to tell and I like him, then that's how we, how we roll. Uh, so I'm out to eat all the time is what I'm trying to say in a long-winded fashion. That's what I do. I go out to eat at least two or three nights a week in New York City because a lot of the times it doesn't live up to the hype. But two places that I've been to I mentioned Bettany that I loved. Bettany's up on 57th Street in that sort of midtown north location off 6th Avenue. Fantastic, fantastic restaurant. Um, just a great team. Um, young, talented chef that was 11 Madison Park. Front of the house guy that's great. That Eamon that totally gets front of the house service. Great wine list, great food. Can't recommend them enough. These two that I'm going to talk about are downtown restaurants that are kind of in the midst of that small plate thing, which I really think is kind of a cool way to go. Um, two restaurants are Estella, and Estella's on Houston Street. 
and Pearl and Ash, which is not far away on the Bowery. Uh, Both of them are run by young teams with young chefs in the kitchen who are just full on. And the the conceit of of these spaces and these menus is that there's a lot of plates that are priced between, say, $8 and $12 that are designed to be four bites and you're out kind of shared things. So you can go in with a couple of friends and order eight or nine or ten or three or four or five of these small plates. The wine lists at both of these restaurants, of course, Pearl and Ash's wine list is just off the hook. It's, I don't even want to bother talking about it because it's, it's, it's a document. Um, but they're both great. I didn't even look at the wine list. I was there last night, and I just let them pick wines. The chef sent out some food. We ordered a bunch of food. Really, really good restaurant. And Estella, along those same lines, just these two restaurants that are sort of embracing this trend that, you know, people may not want to commit anymore to the idea of two courses and dessert, a small course and a big course and something sweet and go home. But isn't it so much more interesting? Remove, bring the price point down, cut the portion size, let the chefs play. Because one of the, I think if you eat out a lot, like I do, you've probably heard, read, and experienced the fact that in a lot of restaurants, the appetizers just tend to be sort of more interesting than the main courses. I'm not sure why that is, but there's something about having to deal with a big plate of something that by the time you're halfway through, you're just kind of bored. You know, you you know the first couple of bites of that steak or that roast were wonderful, and now you're like pushing it around on your plate. And anybody else want to bite? Um, so the small plate thing is great because it sort of gives you a couple of bites of great pure flavor, and you move on to the next one. Uh, so again, Estella Pearl and Ash kudos. Um, Estella's gotten pretty uniform, good reviews. Pearl and Ash has had some mixed stuff, even for friends of mine. So it's funny, although I have to say last night it was busy when we were there and um, <laughs> and like a lot of places, it was noisy. Uh, we were underneath a speaker, but I think anywhere you sit there, you're probably underneath a speaker. Um, so yeah, when, when, when the bass was booming, you're doing some lip reading. Uh, went to a great wine tasting today, a little Bordeaux tasting before I came here. It was Saint-Amillon Wines, which is uh, a distinct region of Bordeaux that got classified way later than, than the rest of Bordeaux. But, I, I, you know, I've been talking about Bordeaux wines from time to time. I've got a, actually a, a good show coming up where we're going to have a couple of people that flew in from Bordeaux uh, that spent a half an hour in the studio with us. Uh, it's It's funny because if you go back in America to the restaurant scene, 25, 35 years ago when I started, uh, the only wines that were on wine lists for the most part were Burgundy's and, and serious restaurants because most of the serious food back then was, was French, um, was Burgundy and Bordeaux. That's all there was. American wines had really, they were at their infancy in California then. Uh, Italian restaurants served Italian wines, you know, the sort of, uh, unfortunately, that sort of Chianti that came in those little straw baskets. Um, Italian wines are so much better now, so much better now. In the last 15 years, they've gotten great. But So I kind of grew up drinking Bordeaux and really loved the architecture of the wines, really loved the structure um, of that blend of Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Cabernet Franc, Petit Feldeau in some variation, depending on which side of the bank you're on, which winery you are. They never have to tell you what the blend is, but those are the grapes that they use. And it's complicated. It's not the easiest place to grow uh, to grow grapes, the weather can be iffy and spotty, although they did have 09 and 010 were ins- insanely good uh, vintages in the past couple of years. Um, and they ripen at different times. So it's this real battle of when do you harvest, when do you crush, how do you blend, when do you blend, how long do you put it in oak. Uh, it's old school, and, and 
but it's it's sad. What I'm trying to get at is it's kind of sad to me that because of partially because of the way the Bordelais are as a people, um, as marketers, and also just the um, the price point. It's these are not cheap wines. You just you don't see a lot of Bordeaux on wine lists these days. You see lots of French wines. You see lots of Loire Valley, lots of Languedoc Roussillon. Um, you know, even Jurassic wines. You see all sorts of wines from Italy, Spain, Portugal, Greece. Of course, all the New World stuff from all over the states: California, um, um, South America, South Africa, even Australia, New Zealand. But Bordeaux's kind of slipped, and it's a shame. These are still ex- astonishingly good wines. All right, I'm going to give you Thanksgiving side since since we had that Thanksgiving side. So let's talk about Thanksgiving with the Rachel Ray people. Here's a couple of dishes that I make that are really simple, Thanksgiving size. One of them is, you know, I, I love the idea of a cauliflower gratin, but um, I hate the way it used to be made, which is to blanch the whole cauliflower and make a Mornay sauce. It's funny, I was listening to another radio station. I won't mention the name of it because it's a great New York station, and the interviewer is a great guy. He's iconic. He's been on the radio for 20-plus years, and he now he does a food thing on Fridays. But he had someone from the CIA on, and they were talking about the CIA's cookbook, and they were mentioning, like, you know, eggs with Mornay sauce. And I was thinking, you know, I haven't seen Mornay sauce on a menu in 15 or 20 years, man. Like, why are they talking about food? This is like, this would have been like a good conversation in in 1987. Um, But, so that, but, but why am I saying that? Because. You know, your classic gratin dishes used to be made with these heavy sauces. So you would cook a vegetable like broccoli or string beans or cauliflower. You'd blanch it in boiling water, shock it, cool it, set it aside, and then you'd cover it with this, you know, with this thickened sauce and um, cheese. And um, it's just gross. So, all right, my guest in. I'll skip this recipe. I'll give it to you next week. I promise. Um, Edward Bears in. He got stuck in traffic. Edward, welcome. Thank you. Welcome Thank you to Bushwork. Seat anywhere you want. Just grab that microphone and get it. I'm here. I'm present, and with apologies for not being on time, but some of us coming from New uh, New York, some of us Vermont. coming from Vermont, <laughs> get a little disoriented in New York and forget that Roberta's is really a long way away. Yeah, man, you're in Morgantown. You're in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It's, it may look easy on the map, but no, man. Hey, my father was from Brooklyn, but that's another story. Well, congratulations. You've, you've had a bunch of – I sort of introed you already. Oh, in your thank absence, you so, so much. In yes. advance, you've gotten your background. And if you, I hope you don't mind. It wasn't meant to be pejorative, but I kind of linked you to the New England Intellectual School of Food oh, Writing. Uh, with, with, with guys like Rowan Jacobson and publications like Gastronomico, whatever that's called, that are like yeah, the, these yeah. tomes where you have like a 12,000-word article on garlic I, or something. I did I was saying uh, to somebody today, I did 15,000 words on, on what were then unobtainable Provencal goat's milk cheeses. However, <laughs> I would like to think that over the years, I learned to become a lot more accessible. Well, you d- this book is cool. So the name of the book we're talking about is called 50 Foods, The Essentials of Good Taste. And what Edward, I don't know how you did this, how you came up with these 50, but we'll leave, I guess you can tell us that could be my first question because there's a whole world of stuff out there. For the most part, I kind of agree with what you're throwing on here. So talk. Talk about how you winnowed it down to what you did is it, relatively quickly. And then I just want to throw stuff at you because sure. some of these are, I just love, too, that are some of my favorite things to cook with. Well, it was a long process in that um, it was about 10 years ago that the idea came for me to do the book and that I was slowly on and off, sometimes very hard, sometimes not so hard, working on it ever after. And I had over that period of time, all kinds of different ideas for crazy foods and not-so-crazy foods to put in there, and I had it all. You know, these are the nuts, and these are the fruits, and these are the vegetables, and these are the fish, and these are the uh, unclassifiable olive oil, honey, caviar, whatever. Well, that would be fish. Um, So... 
And you may know perfectly well, but there are six cheeses plus butter plus cream. So it's a little bit a little bit of a prejudice toward dairy. I would argue that uh, cheese is perhaps the most complex and interesting of all foods. That would be the justification, though maybe that doesn't extend to uh, cream or butter. Uh, anyway, yes, you could have done another group of 50 foods. These are foods I really like, I love. They were chosen partly to have a distribution. You know, we want, I wanted lettuce in there. I wanted green beans in there. I wanted foods to kind of, certain foods to stand for even another larger group of foods. So you could argue, and somebody, I don't know, I was asking myself, okay, they're gonna, somebody's going to say, what would the 51st food be? <laughs> and it could be lots of different things. But the, the one thing that keeps coming back to me is cherries. I just wish there were just a little more fruit in there. <laughs> well, you had to fix, look. Uh, <laughs> At some point, you sat down with your with your agent, sold the idea, and it was fifty. So we're stuck, that, man. That's it. Well, not fifty one, not forty nine, not one hundred and fifty. Yeah, it's fifty, it, it, dude. It, it, there was a little alliteration and some saleability there too. So let's just we'll, we'll go quickly because we, we unfortunately we don't have a ton of time. And I, yeah. I'm glad and it's al- it's listed alphabetically, which is good. So we're going to start at A. And one of my favorite things, um, Italian American. I grew up. My grandmother had the salt pack anchovies all around the house. I'm a little lazy. I just there's a really good Italian store, De Paolo, which is down by me, a cheese guy. And sure, Lou gets these wonderful. Sicilian, they're completely clean, they're in olive oil, but they're super good. Talk about anchovies, because they're like this magical thing that are totally, you know, pulverized. Either people like them, or they don't. Yeah, I, I love them. I mean, I, I can even eat bad anchovies with pleasure. <laughs> you know, the ones that are a little strong. The thing about the ones packed in salt, and maybe the special ones you're talking about, is that they are a little less intense, no. and they have a little bit more of a fresh fish flavor. And you can see it also in the color of the flesh, the ones that are not so bad good in cans are a little more brown the ones that are packed in salt especially if they haven't been sitting there forever have a more reddish yep. flesh and as you know you can either just go for it you can banya cauda whatever you can really put a lot of anchovy right in there or you can like add a few fillets to a beef stew and just kind of get this umami richness that is really unidentifiable and the asians use i mean that idea of fish sauce this idea of getting the getting a, yep. a little fish from the ocean and either letting it rot or salting it or just somehow being able to use it, it goes back to roman cooking oh sure i mean you it's see high, it's high in oil it's a really flavorful yeah. fish a little yeah. fermentation will take you a long way all right, we'll talk Belitis mushrooms. I was just in Poland in September, and it was full-on mushroom season. Everybody was out picking them. It rained about every day for an hour and a half. Then we saw tons of Belitis everywhere we went. Talk about this, because it, it goes by a bunch of different names. Yes, it does. And I, I, I went for Bolitz, which is good okay. English, but people don't know it. But then I could have said Porcini, and people say, oh, you're Italian. You're just an Italian. Right. Except French, French. French. It goes on right. and on. And they're not all these cl- regular Names are as clear as the Latin, but bolete stands for the whole huge family, some of which actually, like uh, Satan's bolete, are not so uh, edible. Uh, But uh, there are three, four, five, six particular species, of which maybe two or three are particularly fine. The famous one is Boletus edulis, but it depends quite a little bit on what country you're from. Like I was talking to a Bulgarian, or found this guy on the internet, exchanged emails. Bulgarian guy, you know, he's professor at some university. Nice guy. He was very forthcoming, but their idea of the the best species was not the Boletus edulis. And 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 all my little uh, French and Italian research as to where things would be found and what you know what trees they right. grow under and what would be the most flavorful didn't apply to him in Bulgaria. So it's a little hard to generalize. But as you know, when you buy them dried ones in particular, we get in this country because the U.S. ones tend to be less flavorful than their 
ostensibly identical counterparts in in Europe. The the dried ones vary from all kinds of intensity to more subtle to not so good. They're a little all over the map. So basically, I hate to say it, but there's depend. I don't want to tell people to go out and waste their money, but there's a little bit of correlation to price and quality. Well, that's life. That is life. <laughs> yeah, the dried ones are great. Even the, the powder, which is something I would never say. I mean, the powder is actually useful because it's oh, a byproduct sure. of the drying. And um, yeah. um, all right, we're going to go to some. We're going to go from something that was really expensive and and by the way, mushroom storage. You mentioned this. If you're buying them, eat them pretty quickly from the time you buy them, and store them in paper bags in the refrigerator, not plastic bags. They like to breathe. Yes, absolutely. Um, otherwise, they kind of rot. Cabbage, man, is this like one of the most overlooked things? Oh, I love cabbage. I know. I guess it's one of the ones that some people would argue, but I. Well, first of all, it's totally seasonal. There are many different ways to treat it. You can kind of underline the freshness and the sweetness of it. It's also a vegetable that's basically available all year round because the winter ones are still in storage by the time the, the spring ones are coming up. So it's it's a uniseasonal <laughs> vegetable. But you can underline that kind of green freshness. And then you can do, you know, these intense long cooking things like the Perdrix au chou, this famous French dish. And I mean, we don't think about it. People don't talk about it. But partridge and cabbage have this unbelievable, friendly, complimentary flavor thing going on. Cabbage and, and foie gras. And, I mean, cabbage and, is just this one. It plays well with others. It, it plays well with others. It loves butter, but yeah. it loves potatoes. It loves yeah. all kinds of things. There's a French dish, which is basically cabbage, potatoes, and butter all mashed together, and it's really, really delicious. And it can be done in a kind of a more refined way that doesn't sound like, you know, kids mashing. <laughs> or mash it up. It's, <laughs> or just and, go for it. And I think there's a sweetness to it. I mean, cabbage is in there's season now. There's a lot now. of sweetness to the, it, especially certain heads of cabbage. There's yeah. also a pepper to yeah. it in the raw, yeah. which we forget about sometimes. All right. I, I was out to dinner last night, and uh, this is one of these funny, I guess I, I guess because I grew up my working as Italian-American in West Philly, so my grandma would go to the butcher back then when stuff was cheap, when like the head was free and the tail was a couple of pennies and the nice. feet were not, because they didn't know what to do with this. You know, everyone, everyone wants the loin. Um, so we grew up eating lots of awful. And one of the things I fell in love with as a kid was sweetbreads, and you have uh, that in here. That, I mean, there's something about sweetbreads, that, that organ meat that's just so texture-wise, flavor-wise. The thymus gland really yeah. doesn't sound very tasty. And, and it, it comes in two forms. One is the, the heart, the nut, and the one is the other is the more elongated. And all of a sudden, I'm not thinking of the English. Um, but and the nut, the heart is is better, but it has this incredible richness, a little bit like brains that people don't eat anymore since mad cow disease. <laughs> but it has that creamy richness, and they're more often than not, even in good restaurants, they're overcooked. But they're, it's just a luscious richness that's kind of bland. It goes with everything. It's really good with fresh green garden peas. That's sort of a classic combination. But it likes all kinds of treatments. But but special little browning just while keeping the, the inside tender. It's just wonderful. We're moving fast because we don't have a lot we of time. Um, here's something people don't think of. And again, I just I don't eat a lot of goose. It was just in Poland where they love goose. They eat goose all the time. It's like one of their national dishes. And we saw them flying around in the lake, kind of these big white birds. Talk about goose because Americans don't eat it. And we... You know, duck confits become kind of like an everyday thing, but yeah, but it's not even real confit because confit is even better, in my view, with goose. Somebody was saying, "Oh, duck is better. Duck is not better. Goose is far better." And goose fat for cooking. I mean, yes, you can fry potatoes in duck fat, but goose fat is on another level. One of those great, great flavor compliments is potatoes, goose fat, and garlic. Um, But goose has a has a richer, stronger flavor. I don't I don't dismiss duck by any means. I love love duck. 
and there's the goose is a less meaty bird. It's a little more demanding for the cook. But if you put it up as confit and you really put enough salt that it keeps in a cool place and you let it go for a month or more, it begins to become a wholly different thing, very, very different thing from what tends to be done in restaurants, which is, is a, a sort of a, a quick salting, which is very tasty and good. But it's, it's not the transformation that you get with real old-fashioned confit, which is about preservation of food. Yeah, and, and when you go, when you travel down in the southwest of France, I mean... That's, Man, that's, that's goose country. Goose, my old, my old chef country. mentor, Delouvrier. And I'll tell you, the foie gras they make from goose is so much better than it, duck, too. It, 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 it is. It, the creaminess, the richness, it's just extraordinary, but you don't see that much in the States. All right, we're going to end with um, oysters. Uh, let's just talk about it because they're – I mean, you sort of sum it up. Like a great fresh oyster just – yeah, I had you're a, sitting in a restaurant in Manhattan. The oyster tray comes. You open it up. You close your eyes. You slip it down, and you're yeah. at the beach. I'm I'm a purist. I like I want nothing. nothing. I don't I want don't lemon. I don't, I don't want, want lemon, the, nothing. Me no. too. And the Me mignonette too. has usually been sitting around too long. It's just the stories. I mean, you. Yeah. It's if, the ocean. It's salty. It's briny. It's, it's self seasoned. Yeah. Why? What would what What do you need to add? If you the, this the only seasoning you need if it's seasoned, if you want to call it that is is the right glass of wine. <laughs> yeah, good, good muscadet or a peak pool or. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm. You know, if you have depends how much money you have. Lots of different things go. I'm a really big. Fan, if you if you want to spend money with a grand cru premier cru uh, chablis, get a really good chablis. If you know what for that <laughs> special occasion, <laughs> no, no, this is not. I haven't done that recently, so if that's any comfort. Yeah. But that's one of the really great combinations with wine. And tremendous. I mean, and the, so and the oysters on the East Coast, except for the Bellon, they're all the Virginica species. Yes. West correct. Coast, we have some others. Yep, yep. Asian, uh, the, the Asian, the uh, Kumamoto, Kumamoto, and uh, the Gigas. Um, and those are wonderful oysters. My own taste is a little bit more for the Virginica. I'm fascinated by the, the flats, the, uh, the Bellon, the originally European one. They're essentially extinct there now in in nature uh, but they raise them up in Maine and Demerascata and elsewhere and those are really those they can go from okay kind of different to like really intense and those are the classic ones when you read about uh, flavor and wine combinations in Europe that's what they were talking about a more intense oyster than than many of us are used to today but the Virginicas I think those are just great great wonderful oysters and they that's that's the species that's up and down the east coast they'll go by different names based on the water yeah. they come from the flavor profiles will change based on the Huge. terroir. Uh, is it part salt, somewhat fresh? Is it, is yeah. it a bay? Is it an estuary? Yeah, exactly. Where's it how salty was that water, which right. it determines how fast they grow. If they grow too fast, well, they're richer and more luscious. If they grow too slowly, maybe they're kind of meager. But you want a certain slowness of growth because you want to accumulate flavor. The name of the book is 50 Foods, The Essentials of Good Taste. My guest has been the author, Edward Bear, who came down from Vermont. He's touring. Great great other stuff. Tell me about the magazine you do again. The, uh, the Art of Eating. Uh, that was the birth of all my interest in writing about food. The Art of Eating is... Uh uh, it's a it's a, a lot like Fifty Foods now. At least it tries to be very accessible and not compromise at all on its information. So it's really for somebody with a casual interest in food, but also I think it tells something to chefs. We have a number of chefs among our subscribers. All right. The art of eating. You can find it on the on the internet. How do people buy this thing? Artofeating.com. Artofeating.com is it, and Fifty Foods at. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, you buy your books. Bound, wherever yeah. you buy your books. Thanks for coming on. Great book, great holiday read for your foodie friends. Hey, I'm your host. The hour went by too quickly. We'll be back next week. Next week, I think I'm devoting the whole show, unless I have the week wrong, but I think I'm right. The whole show. If you're into ramen, we're going to talk ramen for an hour with one of the best ramen makers and one of the best noodle makers. Hey, Heritage, Food, Heritage Radio Network is what you're listening to. Mike Colomeco's Food Talk is the show. See you next week, folks.
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.